Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show, my new free podcast. Hey, please continue to spread the word and tell your friends. We're also excited to be part of the Ricochet Podcast family, so you can listen to us there, too. Well, Chris, I guess I picked the right time to go on vacation with Mrs. Bennett. Not much happening while I was gone. Good Lord, plenty was going on while I was away. Chris, what did you do? Why weren't you watching things? <laughs> you should leave more often. That's when things happen. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I, I come back and... Am I lucky to find any statues in America left standing where, where D- they were? Yeah, D.C. looks a little bit different now. No, but... They, they haven't <laughs> started in D.C., have they? Not yet. Okay. Well, you did well, miss the person defacing someone graffiti the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, really? Nice. Lincoln yeah. Memorial. Yeah. Well, you know, the president asked, the president said, uh, you know, how long before we go after Monticello, home of Jefferson, near Charlottesville, uh, in Charlottesville, actually, and how long before going after Mount Vernon, home of uh, George Washington? Um, uh, there'll be no stopping this rage uh, from these Antifa folks. Uh, just a few thoughts on the statues. Uh, first of all, I, I do not have a principled argument against removing statues. If uh, anybody out there listening has read my book, America, the Last Best Hope, knows that in, in that book, uh, you may recall, I call for the removal of the of the statue of Justice Roger B. Taney, or uh, Roger B. Tawney is actually how it's pronounced. It's spelled like Taney, T-A-N-E-Y, but uh, it uh, is pronounced Tawney. Uh, I think his statue should be removed, and uh, Frederick Douglass' statue should be in its place. I say so in the book, uh, and that seems to me to make sense. Both Marylanders but uh, Tawny has it all wrong in the decision, uh, in the Dred Scott decision, the fateful and horrible and ugly and consequential Dred Scott decision, which Lincoln fully opposed. And um, of course, we know what happens next. Um, so I don't, I don't have a principled argument against the removal of statues, but can we be thoughtful about it? Can we say which statue should remain, which not? Why is the statue here? When was it put up? For what purpose was it put up? What is the person about? What was the person about for purposes of commemoration? What is being commemorated here? Is it slavery? Is it individual character? These are all questions that I think uh, a fair-minded person should ask. Let's also, when we talk about statues, not be guilty of presentism. That is, looking at the past uh, solely through the lens of the present. Now, we are all victims of the present because we live in the present. But let's remember that, um, you know, people felt differently, lived differently, thought differently. Put yourself in the place and point of view uh, of the person who was living then. Let's have a little charity uh, on this issue. Uh, Let's remember uh, that, uh, you know, the world moves in, in... in progressive ways in many ways, but also it can move backwards. I think we're frankly moving backwards in this irrational approach uh, to statuary. Uh, Great phrase. I was reminded of it by our friend Victor Davis Hanson, but I remember hearing it before. Abolitio memoriae. A-B-O-L-I-T-I-O. Abolitio memoriae. M-E-M-O-R-I-A-E. The erasing of memory. The last thing we want to do is erase memory. The study of history is important. The study of history is critical. Uh, if we don't study history, we'll, we will repeat it. Um, also, the uh, erasure of memory is sometimes called killing the dead again. 
killing the dead a second time. So let's be careful and mindful of this, the kind of irrational craziness that we saw uh, in Durham. I remember seeing these, this clip when I uh, was on my vacation, um, tearing down this statue in Durham, North Carolina. The guy then kicks it and spits on it. Well, big deal. What a courageous guy to stick uh, spit on a you know a statue uh, and uh, and kick it. Uh, this means nothing. Uh, shows nothing. Sound and fury signifying nothing. But we need to watch this because uh, a lot of people seem relatively powerless to speak out against it. Well, if it's a Confederate statue, if it's Robert E. Lee, uh, I mean, really, how can you oppose its removal? Well, you can oppose its removal on many grounds. Lee was a man of tremendous character. Uh, he you know, was the reluctant warrior in many ways. After the war, Robert E. Lee uh, was a great force for a positive approach to Reconstruction. Uh, this man had a lot, uh, a lot going for him, uh, as Grant knew uh, at Appomattox. And uh, the respect that Grant showed to Lee uh, is a respect we should continue, uh, continue to show. I wonder when they're going to take the Lee Mansion there, right over there, Chris, right, right, not, not uh, too far from where you yeah. live. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and or, reduce that to the ground. Go ahead. Or, or how about the double whammy, Washington and Lee University? Yeah, that's what it was called, the, the double whammy. I wonder what the board down there is thinking. Has anybody checked? Have you read anything about that? Washington and Lee University. It's a very well-regarded place, very popular place, particularly in the South. What is uh, going on down there? Do you have any report on that? Well, it's interesting. I don't have a report on the board or anyone official at the university, but a alumnus of the university wrote a opinion piece for the New York Times in which he more or less advocated for changing the name and doing away with a lot of the um, memorials, or he sort of views them as memorials on campus for Lee. So this discussion is happening there, um, and I'm sure it's going to be accelerated. Uh, but I don't know if you saw also that um, Stockton University in New Jersey um, just removed the bust of its uh, its namesake, Richard Stockton, who signed the Declaration of Independence, but also owned slaves. Uh, so this uh, this trend is accelerating. Richard Stockton, correct me if I'm wrong, look this up, was tortured by the British. Um, he was held at gunpoint and bayoneted several times. L l look it up, please, as we're talking. Stockton was a Revolutionary War hero. Uh, yes, may have owned uh, slaves, but seriously, um, uh, I, I, I believe I recall this accurately. No kidding, Richard Stockton. And that's, uh, of course, familiar to us as a stop on the yeah, on Jersey the... Turnpike, right? <laughs> exactly. I was thinking of the same thing the first time. Um, exactly. No, you were right. I'm looking up. You were right that he was tortured. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. He was left out to freeze, but he was the first person... Uh, in New Jersey to sign the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, no, I, I remember they left him out freeze, but they went to his house, and I think he was stuck with bayonets, bleeding from many places. My God, what have they done to Stockton? They removed his bust. My God, uh, is there no end to this? Uh, here's an interesting perspective on it uh, from interesting source, Charles Barkley. He talked about statues and statuary. I'm 54 years old. I've never thought about those statues a day in my life. I think if you ask most black people, to be honest, they ain't thought a day in their life about those stupid statues either. Hmm. What we as black people need to do, we need to worry about getting an education. 
We need to stop killing each other. We need to try to find a way to have more economic opportunity and things like that. I'm wasting my time and energy screaming at a neo-Nazi or saying, man, you've got to take this statue down. Interesting perspective Interesting. Charles Barkley. And I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you this if I could quickly. Um, why is it that, you know, after South Carolina and Dylan Roof, um, we all of a sudden had a national debate over Confederate flags. And after a few, you know, neo-Nazis and white supremacists gather in Charlottesville, we have a debate over statues. I mean, aren't we completely missing the point here? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure I get your point. It, just that the discussion, if we really wanted to talk about um, racism or white supremacism or um, whatever oh. the situation is, it, in order to com- the the best way to combat that isn't to talk about you know inanimate objects. I mean, they're oh, important symbols, but like Barkley said, shouldn't we be talking about education, opportunity? Uh, school choice, I mean, yeah. the modern-day civil rights issues. Yeah, we should be talking about the Success Academy, which I'll talk about later, Right uh, in Harlem, uh, where there uh, these uh, minority students, poor minority students, are outscoring uh, almost all the white kids in, uh, in in New York City, thanks to the work of uh, Eva Moskowitz and, uh, and the, her great charter schools up there. Yeah, that's a real, that's a real civil rights issue. Well, let's go back to Charlottesville. I've spoken to you all about this before. Um, I think the president had a good point um, that there were trouble on both sides. Yeah, the people who came to Charlottesville with their uh, clubs and guns and all were looking for trouble. Uh, and among them were racists and white supremacists and Nazis and even a couple of Ku Klux Klaners. The people who opposed them uh, weren't all angels uh either uh you don't come you know if you mean peace and non and non-violence you don't come to it with uh, clubs and with uh, lighters and uh, paint cans uh, to, li- to use lighters to make flamethrowers uh and you don't beat up on you don't beat up on people um you know it was interesting there was a kind of attempt to replay charlottesville uh at least in the eyes or minds of uh the uh, the people who uh, hated uh, all all the racists in Charlottesville, in Boston, uh, except this one really wasn't the case. Uh, you had about, I'm guessing, 15 or 20. What did you say, Chris? 30 or 40, maybe? Couldn't uh, be more than that. Of uh, people coming out for free speech uh, there, uh, in on the Boston Common, uh, they were all taken away. Uh, before the deadline in a paddy wagon, three paddy wagons, so it couldn't have been that many people taken away in a paddy wagons for their own protection. Uh, among them were libertarians, uh, candidates for office, and so on. This was not the crowd that descended on Charlottesville. But facing this 25 or 30 people was a crowd in Boston of fifteen to 40,000 people. Uh, among these were some good faith, goodwill protesters, uh, as the president would say, and as I would agree, there were also people who were horrible, seeking to provoke the police, attack the police. They had urine-filled bottles they threw at the police uh, out of this crowd. I don't think it was most of the crowd by any stretch, but it was some of them, and we're going to see more of this. Um, it looks like uh, one has a kind of pass, a kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, no, 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 uh, no responsibility here. If you speak out against racism and speak against white supremacy, uh, you can do anything, anything in the name. Uh, the ends justify the means. And I think this is the fever that's uh, taking over a lot of places right now. Chris, you care to comment? 
I think that's right. I mean, there's really been no nuance uh, in the discussion here. Um, it, it was interesting. You probably missed this while you were gone, but the New York Times actually went down and interviewed some of the people who were in Charlottesville gathering there um, and actually found some pretty decent people who were there protesting on grounds of, you know, let's not get rid of all our history. And, um, and they found some night worker who drove from Kansas all the way and said that she liked Trump, but she wasn't a Nazi she wasn't a white supremacist. Oh, this was, was on just... the prov- pr- provocation side in Charlottesville, really. Right, right. And so there's... So what the president said was right. In essence, yeah. I, I mean, and the New York Times actually found this lady, Michelle Piercy, who's a night shift worker at a retirement home, and went down um, and said that, you know, she was there, um, no interest in standing with the Nazis or white supremacists, but just, you know, wanted to protest them taking down the statue. Um, and, and so there's just a total lack of nuance. Like you've said, that it seems if you're protesting Nazis, you can get away with almost anything. Well, how about total lack of truth? I mean, what was the president's phrase? I think there were some fine people, very fine people. On both sides. On both sides. What you're telling me is the New York Times article suggested, you know, that that's true. Not suggested, reported that it was true. Well, one, per- per- one person, right, right. At least one person. Well, we'd, I don't think it was probably the only person. Probably not. Um, yeah, no, I need to see that article. All right, just a few other things in relation to this. Um, l- let me tell you where I think it's going, big picture. Where it's going, and I think it's already gone there. There was an article that went up on CNN, some kind of report, is that if you supported Trump, you were white, you were a racist. If you supported Trump, you were a white supremacist. If you supported Trump, you're basically the equivalent of the Ku Klux Klan or Nazi. That's where it's going. Um, and there was a report that CNN reported on, didn't back away from, uh, saying just that. And I think this is where it's going. So be careful if you're walking around with that hat, you know, make America great again. I occasionally wear it um, because uh, you're likely to be assaulted on grounds that uh, you are a racist, a white supremacist. Now, of course, uh, what did uh, Edmund Burke say of the French Revolution? It was a chaos of levity and ferocity. Uh, We see the ferocity here. We saw it in Charlottesville. We saw some of it in Boston. We'll see some more of it. Uh, What about the levity? Um, Well, you can't make it up. Um, I guess I'm the five millionth person to do this. But an Asian-American sports announcer, Robert Lee, was pulled from the University of Virginia game, University of Virginia courses in Charlottesville, because of his name. His name. Um, I wonder if Robert Lee was a was a black gentleman, African American, whether he would have been pulled. What do you think, Chris? Has anyone <laughs> I, posed that hypothetical before? I, I don't. Think I so. don't. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> Go there, ahead. There has been a lot of levity around it. ESPN's been re-nicknamed the worldwide leader in stupidity, um, and a lot of people trading jokes about how Robert E. Lee should quit ESPN, declare independence, and start his own sports channel. You know, just some clever puns. Uh, but it, it is just, it, it's ridiculous. It's madness. It's madness. Now, uh, no more needs to be said about that, except I hope the guy's got a good lawyer, and I hope he's suing him. But he probably agreed to this. They probably bribed him or offered him something or whatever. But it is it is so absurd. This is ESPN. You know, it makes you almost not want to watch college football. Well, no, not quite that far. <laughs> but, I mean, it's infuriating. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. How about the ACLU? 
which puts up after a lot of discussion and then they're deciding whether they can really represent, you know, people who are uh, Ku Klux Klaners or white supremacists if they're carrying guns. Uh, didn't they pass a resolution that they will not represent their rights to free speech if they're backing weapons? That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, they should take the Second Amendment yeah, as seriously no, as they take no the First, first Amendment. Amendment if you take the Second Amendment. Right. Yeah, they they should take them both seriously. But anyway, it put up a, a picture on its website of a little baby, a little blonde baby, um, in a uh, in an ACLU uh, outfit or onesie, I guess it's called, saying this is our future. And they got so many complaints, they took it down. And um, I didn't see the picture they put up. Instead, is it? It's, they said it was a brunette child. I don't know what that means. Yeah. So they posted a f- another photo. I think it's the it's the same baby, and with the caption, "This is the future that ACLU members want," and it's a baby that look you know dark hair, I see. Um, looks of some minority descent, dark complexion. I see. Okay, and they said, "Gee, everybody, everybody unaware, you know, can be guilty of white supremacism." Wasn't that the quote? You know, we that we got caught too. Yeah, but, yeah. So to show, let's, let's get this out there starkly. To show a picture of a white baby with an American flag is an act of white supremacism. That's where we've gone. Again, I'll say, I'll quote Cicero, O tempora, O moris, O times, O morals, O, o manners, o, o the times in which we live. My goodness gracious, my God, that's all that one can say about that. Uh, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. It's just unbelievable where are we going. I know exactly where we're going. If you supported the, the Great Divide, if you supported Trump, you're a racist, white supremacist. And if you criticize Antifa, you're part of the problem. Antifa standing for anti-fascist, but with the technique of fascist. What am I missing? Did I forget any good examples here? I don't think so. I think you got most of them. Um, but I think what's interesting is if you compare the reaction of conservatives to certain incidents like this to liberals, um, for, for example, after... You know, this crazy Bernie Sanders fan went and shot up the congressional baseball game and almost killed Steve Scalise. You know, a lot of conservatives came out and said, you know, this guy obviously doesn't, you know, Bernie Sanders isn't responsible for what this guy did. Uh, But then you have a group of neo-Nazis and KKK people and they rally around a statue in Charlottesville and all of a sudden Donald Trump is responsible for what they did. And so are anyone and so is anyone who voted for him. Let's make distinctions. Let's be deliberate. Let's not erase our memory. Let's not kill the dead again. <clears throat> Let's let people soberly and deliberately decide these issues about statuary. Uh, let's let the ACLU uh, take seriously the entire Constitution, the Second Amendment, as well as the First. Let ESPN wake up and smell the coffee. My goodness gracious, my God. Uh, and um, let's proceed back to the ways of civilization. The, uh, the only hope here for reconciliation or at least some peace is that the left will so overreach. They will so overreach on this. They will, you know, throw urine-filled bottles at the cops. They will say anything done in the name of anti-fascism is fine. Uh, and then the country will, you know, isolate, isolate them, I think, in its own mind. By the way, I think in the long run, this is going to help Donald Trump, not hurt Donald Trump, because of what I just said. Um, I believe that, you know, when he said there were problems on both sides, uh, yeah, he was not 
taking into account the proportions. There were probably, you know, a higher percentage of bad dudes on the provocation side in Charlottesville than on the reaction side, but there were bad dudes on both sides. There's no question about it. And um, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens next. But uh, talk to the cops. Um, they'll tell you who the trouble is, where the trouble is that they're worrying about. And um, we'll see what the future brings. We will be speaking out on this. I'll be doing so on um, this podcast. I'll be doing so on television. I'll be doing so uh, wherever and whenever I get the opportunity. Bill, can I add one last thing? Yeah, to please, your, your sure, last point? please I, do. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I've been away, so I need your help on this. <laughs> I well, you haven't you haven't missed much uh, mentally. You're still you're still right on it. Um, I wanted to pick up on one of the last points. What are you, you saying? Mentally, I'm compass menace. Is that it? I'm, okay, <laughs> no, you went on vacation. You came back as sharp as ever. Thank um, you. No, but one of the last points you said they're going to pay a price for this. I think they already are paying a price for this. Uh, NFL ratings, because of all this Colin Kaepernick stuff, are down. Um, I expect you'll probably see ESPN ratings drop some. And then look what's happening at these campuses. Oh, I'm about to get into that. I'm about to get into that. This amazing story. The University of Missouri. This was, uh, I believe, the Wall Street Journal. Quite amazing. Um, Missouri, University of Missouri, pays a price for appeasing the left. Everybody remembers what happened in uh, at the University of Missouri starting in October 2015. Let me just remind you. Uh, this Wall Street Journal article, is it not, Chris? Correct. Okay, we can put a link up to it, right? Sure. Commission, uh, the commotion began in October 2015 when student activists claiming that racism lives here, that's all you got to say, sent administrators a lengthy list of demands. Among them, the president of the University of Missouri system should resign after delivering a handwritten apology acknowledging his white male privilege. Curriculum should include comprehensive racial awareness and inclusion training, and 10% of the faculty and staff should be black. Two weeks later, a student announced he was going on a hunger strike. The football team refused to practice or play until the university met its demands, met the demands. As protesters occupied the quad, administrators bent over backwards to accommodate them, even providing a power strip so they could charge phones and a generator so they could camp in comfort. A communications instructor, Melissa Click, famous video, appeared on a viral video calling for muscle to remove a student reporter from the quad. Quad. I need muscle. Do you remember that? By November 9th, both the president and the chancellor of Mizzou, as the flagship Columbia campus is known, had resigned. The protesters, the, uh, the mob had gotten its way. Uh, donors, parents, alumni, sports fans, prospective students raged against the administrators caving in. One uh, graduate wrote, um, Missouri has devolved into the Berkeley of the Midwest. As classes began, here's the punchline, folks. Listen closely. As classes begin this week, this was written in uh, uh, late August here, yeah, just a week ago. As classes begin this week, freshman enrollment is down 35% since the protests, according to the latest numbers. Mizzou is beginning the year with the smallest incoming class since 1999. Overall enrollment is down by more than 2,000 students to 33,200. The campus has taken seven dormitories out of service. The support, plummeting support, has cost jobs. The university has reduced its staff, cut 50 cleaning and maintenance jobs. 
Missouri's 2016 football season drew almost 13,000 fewer attendees than in 2015, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, This is a payback. This is why I say Trump can win this argument if he he stays cool and keeps it on a level of principle. Uh, Related to this, uh, in this uh, news story, they talk about uh, other institutions. They mention Yale and Middlebury. I don't know about the applications of Yale and Middlebury. Middlebury remembers where Charles Murray wasn't allowed to speak and where the faculty member was injured. Virginia Tech, which is a real surprise to me. I've been there and loved the place. Received numerous phone calls and more than 100 angry emails last year after it disinvited Jason Riley, the black uh, uh, conservative who's a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Um, Universities, the article goes on to say, have consistently underestimated the power of a furious public. At the same time, they've overestimated the power of student activists. They've underestimated the power of a furious public and overestimated the power of student activists who have only as much influence as administrators give them. They have only as much influence as administrators give them. That's a great line. Uh, Chris, any comment? Yeah, it's a remarkable story and... Actually, as I've been following it, other universities, I think, are learning from the lesson here. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Berkeley's new chancellor, who just came in, you know, they got raked over the coals for the uh, all the anarch- anarchists that descended on campus last year and burned the place and cost tens of thousands of dollars in damage, and they had to cancel these speeches. Well, their new chancellor has said that they are going to take a stand. They will, let's see if this, if they do, uh, they will not tolerate any violence. And so far they've said that they are going to allow figures like Ann Coulter, Ben Shapiro, Steve Bannon, people who are previously invited but blocked to speak on campus. And they will spend up to $500,000 per event to protect them and the safety of the campus. Interesting. That's Berkeley. That's Berkeley. Yeah, so you may not be able to call Missouri the Berkeley of the Midwest. You may have to call Missouri the Missouri of the Midwest. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, we'll see. See, uh, this is the public. These are public institutions. Furious public. You know, Missouri's the show-me state. Everybody says that's the typical American state, Missouri. There you go. There you go. Very, very interesting. Well, stay tuned. We shall see what happens. These are times that, uh, well, the try men's souls. I'm thinking of a lot of lines. Thomas Paine, times the try men's souls. I'm thinking of Yates. Uh, the best lack all conviction. The worst are full of passionate intensity. But maybe the best do have conviction. Maybe they got it in Missouri, and maybe they got it elsewhere. We shall see. Um, the problem is Antifa, the so-called anti-fascists, uh, feel empowered um, because they are meeting less and less resistance. More people need to learn from the example of Missouri, the example of Berkeley, uh, the example we uh, talked about extensively on the radio a year or two ago, Ohio State, when they occupied the president's office and administrator went in and said, you have 30 minutes to leave you'll be, or you'll be expelled, you'll be, the police will come in, you'll be arrested, et cetera, et cetera. This is what needs to happen. We shall see. Um, I hope the president stays calm. I hope the president stays reasonable or be, is reasonable on these things, uh, continues to speak his mind. I think that's just fine. And we shall see where the country, uh, where the country goes. Uh, of course, the Trump hatred on all sorts of other grounds feeds into all this. And if you hate Trump on other grounds, you're going to buy into this, uh, you know, racism, white supremacy. And if you supported Trump, that's what you are. 
people are just just aren't going to buy it. I mean, I supported Trump. I voted for Trump. I spoke out for Trump. I'm just not going to buy it. Somebody tells me that that means I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. Sorry, you know, just not true. I know it not to be true. My life uh, has been dedicated to other principles and uh, and and policies. I, you know, I went to Mississippi in 1967, 68. Uh, I have taught this stuff all my life, and I'm I'm not going to put up with it. And I think a lot of Americans aren't going to put up with it either, because in their hearts and in their minds, they know that they are not racist, they are not white supremacists, they are not members of the Klan, they have no sympathy for Nazis. Those are my last thoughts. Chris, anything to add? I can't improve on that. Okay. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. All right, it's time to switch gears and continue my exclusive conversation with my friend and colleague, Steve Wynn. Steve is the chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts, and he is the finance chair of the Republican National Committee, which is crushing the Democrat National Committee when it comes to fundraising, thanks to Steve's leadership. We'll have more on that in our next conversation. Now, in our last segment, we talked about the lack of respect in political discourse today and how it has hurt our body politic. We discuss how we tend to look at other people's faults with an enlarging glass, and we look at our own through a pinhole. In this segment, we have a fun discussion about respect and marriage. Take a listen. By the way, this business about being wrong, I wonder if your experience is like mine. It occurs more often with my wife than with anyone else that I am wrong. And I I wanted to ask you. It just caps to me that the most common time we're wrong is with our wives. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Your experience as well. We know that because they remind us of it. A young man, uh, my producer, chief of staff, who just got married, and he, he didn't ask for my advice. I gave it to him anyway. I said, oh, by the way, you know you know what the wedding present was I got? A wind bed. Did you buy him the mattress? I bought him the mattress. The whole outfit? The whole, did I, I think I bought the whole thing, the whole shooting mattress. That's getting right down to it. And I said, and put a picture of me on the night table next to the bed. He said, I'm taking the bed. I'm not taking the advice about the picture. Thank you very, very much. Um, but anyway, the advice I gave him was, I said, before you've done anything in the morning, get up and say, honey, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> Tracy Bird. Tracy Bird, the country singer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a song, The Truth About Men. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what lies we tell you, when we come crawling in, we ain't wrong, we ain't sorry, and it's probably going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to write that down. Oh, it's a, it's a funny song. Tracy Bird, The got Truth it. About oh, Men. My sons will like it. Let's talk about advice. Because I find when I go and I'm asked to, to, to talk to people at school, give a commencement, something like that, they, they want advice. I, I think of pieces of advice that I've given that people have written me and said this is good. Let me give you a couple examples just to, just to jar your thinking. I end a, my commencement address by saying, keep an open mind. This is not original to me. An open mind is a very good thing, but don't keep your mind so open that your brains fall out. <laughs> okay? Second... You've got, uh, you've got uh, one mouth and two ears. Use them in those proportions. <laughs> and then a great line from Shakespeare. That's a good line. Yeah, isn't that a great line? That's a Marine told me that. The line from Shakespeare, because people know I love Shakespeare. I said, the one really under, underrated, readiness is all. Readiness is all. That's why I say to young people, be ready. You don't know when that shot's coming. You don't know when that great job offer or that great opportunity is coming. Readiness. Be ready. Intellectually. Morally. 
uh, physically, everything, readiness. What do you say to people when you offer advice? Young people. Not well, one people, of them. Not people who are objecting to this, what, this or that matter in, the, in policy. But what do you say to young people? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I say. I, I remind myself so often. Don't be so concerned or you wouldn't be so concerned or so intensely concerned of what other people think of you if you knew how infrequently they do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Right? I'm writing a note to myself. Write that down. That is so funny. That's a great way to put it. They don't, do they? Not really. We think they're thinking about us <laughs> all the really. time. They're concerned about themselves. I see. And, I, and trying to get through the day and and deal with their husbands and wives and kids and bosses and employees. And, yeah. And politics these days. Yeah. God, there's a lot of people worried about politics that at at a, at a level and an intensity I don't think that I had seen in my lifetime. Oh, I know. I know. It's extraordinary. I, one of the things, this may be, you know, this may be more my alley than yours, but you've been very good on this topic. I have noticed, I was with the governors, the Republican governors over in Aspen recently, uh, listening to them, talking to them. There's some amazing guys and there's some and gals and some amazing wins. You know, uh, Larry Hogan, for Pete's sakes, in Maryland. Good friend. 67% approval rating in, in blue Maryland. Yeah, not a, no political background. I know, I know. Terrific, terrific. Guy. Democratic state, wildly popular Republican governor. Yeah. How about Charlie in in Massachusetts? Charlie Baker in Massachusetts. No kidding. He's an <clears throat> impressive, impressive oh, guy. Oh boy. Oh oh oh! I know what I want to ask you. I, oh, How before, about Scott Walker? I had dinner oh, with him last night. I think he's terrific. in Washington. I think he, he said the funniest thing. I'm sure you've heard this. He got up there, and he's, you know, he's a very modest guy. So this, everybody sort of looked up at him. He said, you all owe me a lot, he said. He said, because I chewed up all the Democrat money that came after me in Wisconsin <laughs> when I stood in the state capitol. He sure did. That? He did, didn't he? They threatened his wife. They broke down the doors of the building. It was a most disgraceful, violent action against a majority of their elected senators and representatives in their own capital and their elected governor. They, they chose to disagree by smashing the building. Wow. Teachers. Everybody. A lot of more teachers, the I'm Ameri sorry the, to say. The, Trumpka, the head of the AFL-CIO, came and led the charge, which is, I think it was Richard Trumpka is his first name? Yeah, Trumpka. Imagine yeah, a man Trumpka. with in a position of such importance to the labor movement in America behaving in such a disgraceful way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one thing to disagree or criticize the governor of Wisconsin, but to be part of violent demonstrations, smash the building and, and, and be being part of a environment that made it possible for someone to threaten the governor's wife and children. And Trumpka can say, I would never have done that. But of course, he was part of whipping up the crowd to the levels that would allow a thing like that to happen. Threats to be made, buildings and doors to be smashed. Anarchy. Yeah. Anarchy. In, if you can't win, tear it down. Well, there's, a, there's, an, there's an idea that's stupid. You know, 
And putting Ed Wilson's calendar, Mark Twain wrote, mm -hmm. you can take a dog that is sick and starving, you can feed that dog and make him well. And that's the principal difference between a dog and a man. <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's great. We're capable of such disgraceful behavior, us humans. Uh, it makes you wonder, have we really progressed with all of our technology and all of our wondrous progress uh, in things? Have we had any matching progress with ourselves? Yeah, good. I wonder about that now in my older age, whether we have or not. Let, let me ask you, I started on the Scott Walker thing, so I want to talk to you about education for a minute. Um, one of the themes uh, was, was education, and practical education. I, I remember meeting with one of your vice president, executive vice president a couple of years ago, executive vice president for personnel or hiring, and they said, we don't have any problems because everybody wants to work for Steve Wynn. I always test that out when I'm visiting your hotel. I talk to employees, and they love you. I mean, they just they, they revere you. And that's what a wonderful thing to be. To be it's so a family. Hard. Yeah. You know, there's a there, – fundamentally, I believe that I need them more than I they know. need me. Now, that's easy to say. But – if you really believe that, and I do, if that actually is a core belief, if you're convinced of that, and I am, there's a different smell, a different aura, a different whiff to a guy, and other people sense it when you're with them. And it's reflected in this, this commercial enterprise known as Wynn Resorts. It's reflected in a thousand little ways that have to do with the way we relate to one another here. In the Army, they used to say, yours is not to question why, yours is but right. to do or die. Right. I guess in a war that's important. But in this company, there's always a why. We never ask anybody to do anything without explaining why. On the idea, on the theory, that if you, when you explain things to people, if you're going to ask them to do things a certain way, you're giving them a certain amount of respect by by explaining your actions. Yeah, that's respectful. Number two, when you tell someone why you want to do things a certain way, and they understand that, if they like you, maybe just maybe they'll tell you a better way to do it. You bet. And hence, I've been educated by my employees for the past 50 years on how to do stuff because they're the ones that touch the people. So I've, I, whatever sensitivity I've developed to think like a customer, I got it from the people that work with me. And so I don't think they work for me. I think they work with me. I think of myself as a colleague. And as, as I say, Bill, it's one thing to say it on the radio. Big deal. Guy's a CEO, and you give him a microphone, he can say anything he wants. But if you really are that person, things things work differently around here. Yeah, they do. People feel safer because they know where they stand. And they know yeah. what we're, we're yeah. here to create great guest experience. That's how we all get our job security, including me. 
creating a, a great guest experience. If we do that, we grow, we prosper, we make more money, we could pay more money for, in wages, and the machine works. Yeah. And actually, that's how a government should work, too. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll, and we'll, clo we'll close with this. Um, I, I, as the audience could probably tell, we're here in person with Steve Wynn. Uh, I, as I was leaving, two ladies were cleaning uh, our, our suite we're here with several other people. Uh, ladies, you know, in those red dresses with the white aprons. I don't know what else to call the cover, you know, they wear over them. Is that guest room attendants? Guest room attendants. And I said, uh, they said, have a wonderful day. Have a nice day. I said, you know where I'm going? I said, I'm going to see Mr. Wynn. They didn't say, say hello or how nice or how lucky. They said, bless him. Bless him. How about that? How about that? Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Uh, I told If the, you're on this end of it, I'm, it gets me all verklempt. Verklempt. <laughs> My colleague, uh, Brian, who was with me, said, uh, shoe shine guy, and he loves to get his shoes done here. He said it's the best shine he can get anywhere. Said that the people here, he, the, the gentleman said, admire Mr. Wynn. He said, I admire him, and I would follow him anywhere. Wow. There you go. You know what Gandhi said? Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi said, there go my people. I have to catch up with them, for yeah. I am their leader. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> what a great line. There you go. You just reminded me of it. Oh, good. That's worth something today. Uh, you are not only witty in yourself, Shakespeare says of Falstaff, but the cause of wit in others. <laughs> thank you, Steve Witt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Welcome, you Bill. Much. All right, we have to leave it there for today. Thanks for listening to the Bill Bennett Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes and continue to spread the word. It's free. Talk to you next week.